Well, good morning. Hopefully you've had a uh, good week. It's good to be back in the bay, as it's called. Haven't been to the bay many times in my life, but the last few weeks have had the pleasure of being here. And so uh, I was asked uh, during the week, where's the church in Bay St. Louis? And I said, I have no idea. All I know is that it's on Main Street and the GPS says to turn right. And so that's the way I go. So we just follow directions, right? We're really good at doing that. Uh, So it's Christmas, and uh, so today we're going to talk about, uh, I think, the differentiating aspect about God that changes everything. And uh, so it's Christmas. We uh, we celebrate, of course, the birth of Jesus and uh, his uh, birthday. And so today I want to uh, chat with you about uh, the concept that grace wins. Grace wins. And uh, so we'll be in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Make sure you turn to Luke chapter 1. So as you're turning to Luke chapter 1, I want you to think about what is the greatest thing that's ever happened in your life? So, So take a few minutes to commit that to your mind. The greatest thing that has ever happened in your life. You may say, well, I won the lottery, or I, you know, had a child, or I received an amazing gift. Your list of amazing, greatest things ever in your life is not, is not, excuse me, not very long. Think about it. I mean, just some of the things that you may would think of, and you would categorize them as the greatest thing that's ever happened. That list is not a very long list. There's not a lot of competition on that list. And so regardless of what it is, when you think about the greatest thing that has ever happened, as a child of God, somewhere on that list, should be at the top, is when God himself spoke to you. Now, I don't have the latest number, but I know there's over 7 billion people on this planet living currently. Obviously, uh, billions before have come and gone. So, there is a God. His name is Jesus. And He has chosen to spoke individual, to speak individually and directly to His creation, which is you and me. So, think about that. The God of seven billion people has spoken to you. Now, I've got two children. I've mentioned that before. And it's difficult out of those two kids for them to hear when I speak to them. Can anybody testify as a parent when you tell your children something? Oh, I didn't hear you, Mom, or I didn't hear you, Dad. You know, I think a lot of times as children of God, as creation maybe is a better way to put it, we have a very difficult time hearing from God. One of the questions that is probably the most common question that I've been asked in my life of ministry is, how do you hear from God? And so maybe you're here this morning and it's been a long time since God has spoken to you. You could probably testify in a a crowd this large, there's probably someone here that would say, you know, I can't remember the last time that God spoke to me. Or maybe you're here this morning, and uh, which is unfortunately very common, you would say this, God has never spoken to me. God has never spoken to me. You see, our churches, unfortunately, I like to pick on Baptists because I am one. Uh, we have churches chock full of people who have never heard from God. 
And so today we're going to look in Luke chapter 1 and we're going to see two people who heard from God and their reactions are very, very different. And so we're going to look at the concept that grace always wins. So if you will, uh, bow with me in prayer as we ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word today. Father God, we thank you for today. Uh, God, we're grateful for the fact that you love us. God, we're grateful for the fact that in spite of who we are, you continue to pursue us. And God, as we celebrate Christmas this year, what we're doing is we are acknowledging and recognizing the fact that Jesus Christ is worthy to be praised, to be worshipped, to be followed, to be remembered and to have a relationship with. And God, it is so easy in Christmas to get busy with gift giving and gift going and all of the things that come with that. So Lord, today, can we just slow down and hear from you? God, the greatest thing we could accomplish in life is having heard from and respond to the voice of God. So may we be still today. Lord, I pray that you will quiet hearts, quiet minds for the next few minutes. And Lord, just speak to us. God, as it says, uh, as said by Samuel in the Old Testament, uh, I am listening, Lord, speak. So God, give us ears to hear this morning. Give us eyes to see. And uh, Lord, we pray for discernment as we read your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 1. Now you'll see in your bulletin, Luke chapter 2 is there. So you can read that when you leave today. Luke chapter 1. So we're going to read Luke chapter 1 and then uh, we're going to jump in. In the days, verse 5, of Herod king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest, verse 8, before God, when his division was on duty, which was two weeks uh, if you will, uh, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So he was chosen by chance to go in and uh, to the temple. And while he's in the temple, everybody's outside praying. And while he's inside, verse 11, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Now that is the most common response in scripture when an angel appears. Uh, and it says, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and, his, and fear fell upon him. Verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now that should be the greatest news an individual could ever receive, is that God has heard your prayers, and he has answered them. You know, a lot of times we really feel that uh, God is silent. And uh, if we look here in scriptures, we're reading about Zechariah. It has been 400 years since God has spoken to them. We'll get into that in a second. And so just like you and me, oftentimes in our life, when we are not accustomed to hearing from God, it appears that God may be ignoring us or be silent with us. 
And he says that you're going to have a son. So verse 14, you'll have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he'll be great before the Lord. And he must not drink uh, wine or strong drink and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah. Remember that. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah then said to the angel, verse 18, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak. And so the rest of the story says that Zechariah goes outside and he made signs to the people that uh, he had seen a vision. And the Bible says that uh, Elizabeth stayed home for five months uh, because in verse 25 it says, The Lord has done to me in in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach. So here's Zechariah. He's a priest. Uh, Zechariah's job was to go into the temple and to petition, uh, petition for the people to God. He was the representative, if you will, uh, to go in and to speak on behalf of the people. These uh, priests, we see uh, Zechariah at the time was about 99 years old. Elizabeth, 89 years old. It may sound familiar of Abraham uh, in the Old Testament. And so the angel appears and says, hey, guess what? You're going to have a son. Now think about this. He's 99. His wife's 89. Those are not childbearing years. Not in, even in biblical days. And so he says, there's no way that that's going to happen. Now imagine uh, with me, if you will, uh, that was the greatest thing that, that could happen as a woman in biblical times. That was the uh, epitome, if you will, of life is for a child, uh, for a wife to bear children. And so you imagine that there had been multiple conversations that uh, had been had in their home about a child. And maybe there were times where they really thought, hey, this is the time we're going to have a child is the year. And yet year after year after year, it never happened. But the Bible says that uh, he continued, Zechariah continued to be faithful and that he would walk blamelessly in all the statutes. Now on the outside, he walked, you can see that, he, you, it appeared that he was maintaining his faithfulness. But when the angel answered the prayer in which he asked God to answer, his question was, well, how will I know that this is true? Now, there's so many parallels here with you and I, right? I mean, we pray for God to do things. In the morning services, the songs were being sung. I was sitting right here, and I thought to myself, what if an angel appeared on stage? This room would clear out. I mean, we'd be gone, right? Now, that's what we want. I mean, let's be honest. That'd be the greatest thing that ever happened if Gabriel himself, I told you a few weeks ago in uh, Jewish eschatology, that's a fancy Christianese word, in Jewish eschatology, six super angels. Gabriel's one of them. Michael's the other. There's four more. If an angel, if Gabriel stood before us and said, I have a message from God, it would blow our minds. But that's what we came for, right? Right? I mean, we came to hear from God. That's what I'm here today for. And so here's Zechariah in the temple praying for God to do something. The angel shows up and said, hey, that prayer that you've been praying, I'm here to answer it. And he says, well, I'm not sure about that. 
So many times in our life we find ourselves in situations to where God has answered so graciously what we've asked for. And when he does it, we don't believe. You see, it had been 400 years since they had heard a word from God. And so what they're doing is they're just continuing to go through the motions. Which, if I was a guessing man, I would guess there's a lot of you in the room today that are doing the same thing. You get up, you go to church on Sunday because that's just the right thing to do. You may come on Wednesday night. Sometimes there's a holy huddle on Sunday night, right? The faithful few. And all of a sudden, you get into this routine of religion. And it's been, it's been so long since you've heard from God, you really don't know what that's like. And so you just continue to do the same things over and over and over and over and over. That's what the Pharisees are known for, is creating laws out of habit. Zechariah was participating in that same cycle. There was 18,000 priests at the time, and they served in the temple twice a year. But only once in your lifetime were you chosen to go into the inner sanctuary. Once in a lifetime. What are the odds that that one time that he was chosen in his life to go into the inner uh, sanctuary, that Gabriel showed up? You see, in your life, I think there's probably some people that are here today. Uh, maybe you haven't been here in a while. And what you need is that you need God to give you one of those once-in-a-moment experiences. Once-in-a-lifetime opportunities to hear from God. So make no mistake about it. You're not here today by accident. As it was spoken that with Zechariah, uh, to Zechariah that John would have the Holy Spirit in him from the very beginning. God knows exactly where you're at today. He has not forgotten about you. And he wants to speak directly to you. Zechariah was asking God to do something that he was not expecting him to do. Are we guilty of that sometimes? Asking God to save someone, asking God to cure someone. Maybe, maybe there's something that you've been praying. Maybe years ago, God laid something extra special on your heart. And you began to pray, maybe for a spouse to be saved. That's a common one. Maybe you prayed for a family member to, to come to know the Lord. Maybe you prayed for someone to be healed. And listen, and continually over and over and over, you prayed that prayer and nothing happened. And so what did you do? You do what everyone else does. You gave up and you quit praying and you just stopped and you let it go. But you see, the Bible teaches us over and over and over that God doesn't forget and that grace always wins. We're the ones who let go. We're the ones who give up. We're the ones who look and say, well, there's no way possible that God could do this. What religion does for us is it causes us to go through the motions and not really expect the motions to produce results. None of you, none of you, I dare say, woke up this morning and said, you know what? I can't wait until God speaks to me at church today. Unfortunately, we've become so accustomed to routine. So here's Zechariah, the responsibility to speak on behalf of the people. God speaks. He doesn't believe it. And so he says this, how will I know? Now, I'm going to try this for a second time today. It, it fell flat in the first service. But when I read, how will I know? I can't help. Is anybody else in here the same way? You can't help but think of Whitney Houston, right? How will I know? You've heard that song before? I, I just, I want to sing that song every time I read that part. And you know, how will I know that he really loves me? 
Zechariah was thinking the same thing. So maybe he had heard that song before. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But he's asking, how will I know, God? How are you going to prove to me the very thing I'm asking for you to do? Do you not think Zechariah prayed for a son? Oh, how desperate he wanted a son. And yet God had withheld that from him to show who God really was. Another thing we see here with Zechariah is think of the patience that God had shown with him. He sends an angel, right? I'm Gabriel. You're going to have a son. God told me to come and tell you. My response would have been, you have got to be, this is amazing. But he says, well, uh, how, how am I supposed to know this is going to happen? And so as oftentimes we do with our children, we speak very slowly. And we say, listen to what I'm about to say. I am Gabriel. I am an angel. God has sent me. You are going to have a child. Because you didn't believe me, you're not going to be able to speak. I mean, it was so elementary in his response. It's almost as you can see Gabriel's frustration. They're like, really? I mean, look at my wings, guy. There's bright lights all around me. I'm from heaven. And you don't believe that. I, I want to encourage you this year as we look at Christmas that look all around you. God's there. God is working in the very midst of where you are. And so oftentimes we skim over and we say, well, I don't see God working anywhere. Or we say, well, I don't understand why God won't work in my life when God is working all around you. Do not draw a circle around yourself and ask God to bless your circle. Find out where God is working and go join him because trust me, he is working. Zechariah had been praying for God to work, and God was already working. So fast forward to verse 26, and we see in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel again, he's not been busy for 400 years. All of a sudden, within six months, God sends him twice to earth. And he comes to a city of Galilee named Nazareth uh, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. Listen to her different response. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, not his father Joseph. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said, How will this be since I am a virgin? Third time that's mentioned. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Verse 36. And behold, your relative. And so he begins to tell her about uh, John the Baptist. In verse 37, she says, well, for nothing will be impossible with God. Or the angel did. So Mary responds with saying, I am a servant or I am a slave of the Lord. Let it be the way that you say. So we see Zechariah, the priest. Easily we could have talked about religion versus relationship. You've heard that before. Here's Zechariah going through religious motions. Here's Mary who has an obvious relationship with God. You say, well, how do I know that? Well, the Bible says that she tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. She, this is not the first time that she's had communication or that she's had interaction with God. And so she says, well, I'm trying to discern this. She was used to hearing something from God. 
She's just a common person though. Mary was a teenager. She was a nobody in the face of the landscape at that time. And oftentimes we think for God to speak to somebody that you've got to be head of state or you've got to be the preacher or you've got to have a degree or whatever you may think in your mind. But none of that is true. God spoke directly to Mary because she was a creation of the Most High God. And he had a plan for Mary's life, just like he has a plan for every one of us in this room. You were not created on accident. No matter what happened in your life, no matter what past disgraces may be present, no matter the things that you may be ashamed of that happened in your life, God still loves you. He specifically created you for a plan, and He will accomplish His purposes because as the angel told Mary, nothing is impossible for God. I should have got an amen on that one. So we see Mary, an everyday person. Now, what's important about Mary is this. So put your theological cap on for a second because we're about to defend the faith, okay? Here's what makes Jesus different than everybody else. Jesus wasn't born through the son of Joseph. I pointed that out twice. He was born through the son of God. Multiple times he is referred to in the Gospels as the son of God. Why is that important? Well, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says that a child will be born. And he uses the word Alma, A-L-M-A-H, which is a Hebrew word representing a woman who has never had an opportunity to be pregnant, if you will. And so here is this virgin lady spoken of that will be a sign. Now let me ask you a question. We could spend a lot of time on this today, but let me ask you this. Why would an ordinary birth between a man and a woman be a sign? It's a supernatural birth. It's a virgin birth. And so that's what makes Jesus different than every other religion that's out there. We could talk about many of the other ones out there. But they were all born from a man and a woman having conception together. That's how they were born. Every single one of them. Joseph Smith with Mormonism, Muhammad with Islam. You can pick any of them. Every single one of them have an earthly father and an earthly mother. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We see in Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before, supernaturally, completely different than everyone else. Jesus was born differently. Jesus died differently. He's the only one who rose from the grave. Let me ask you a question. I've had people pass away in my life, so I'm not making light of this. You've had people pass away in your life, but none of us celebrate a deceased person's birthday. None of us. We may remember, we don't celebrate. But what Christmas is, is a celebration for the living God, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what Christmas is. So Jesus is supernaturally born through Mary. David said in Psalms 51.5, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Because Paul writes in Romans 5 that through one man sin entered into the world. And if he was born through Joseph the seed of Joseph and Mary, there would have been the seed of sin. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus was perfect and blameless and spotless lamb. He was the only one that was sufficient to take away the sin of the world because he was perfect. So when you get into a theological conversation, you can stand firm on the fact that it was prophesied hundreds of years before that a virgin would conceive Jesus, and it did happen. We see Justin, we see Ignatius, and many others account extra-biblically for the virgin birth of Jesus. There's evidence for it. You can believe what the Bible says. 
You see in verse 30, as the angel Gabriel talked to Mary, he said, you have found favor with God. Now, I can't think of a better saying to hear in my entire life than I have found favor with God. You see, the word found there means to discover. And the word uh, favor means grace. And so, in essence, what the angel is telling Mary is, he is telling her, you have found grace, you have discovered grace with God. Can I say this this morning? That every one of us are sinners. And I don't, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care your reputation. If you found Jesus, you've discovered grace. You've discovered favor, which is unmerited favor, unmerited grace. So no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you are, no matter your reputation, there is still a chance for you. There is still hope for you. Because that's what the gospel is, is the good news. Listen, that's why the gospel is so scandalous. Because you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to do these rituals and you don't have to go down this and do that. Because Jesus has done all that for you. The Bible says in Hebrews that he died once for all. He was the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. And so no matter where you find yourself this morning, I don't care where the the enemy tells you in your mind that you're not good enough. I don't care what your family may say. I don't care what your past is. God's grace always wins. So we see Mary ask the question then, well, how can this be? That's what grace does. How can a God love me? How can that be possible? I have failed so many times. I am certainly not what I thought I would be or what I wanted to be. And yet Mary asked the same question. God, how can you love me? How can you do this supernatural thing in my life? You see, when we realize what grace has done for us, it leaves us in wonder. Wait a minute. God loves me in spite of my sin? Wait a minute. God sent his own son, Jesus, to sacrifice on the cross for me? God paid my sin debt? So what you're telling me is that when I stand before God, that here's another Christianese. I'm going to be justified before God the Father so the wrath of God will not be poured upon me as a believer because Jesus will substitute himself. He will take my place. Yes. How can that be? Because he loves you and because he loves me. The Bible says in Luke 2.19, after the wise men had come, Mary treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. That's what grace does is it causes you to ponder. And so Mary's response was in verse 38, I am your slave. May it be done according to your word. Oh, that there were more people in our churches that would say, I am a servant of the Most High God. May it be done according to his word. She was willing to do whatever God required of her. So real quick here uh, at closing, I want to give you three things to just think about here for Christmas. This is not in no action steps. I just want you to ponder. Three things about the grace of God. Number one, God's grace makes the least likely the most likely. It makes the least likely the most likely. Jeff, I think you're a couple slides ahead of me. It makes the least likely the most likely. Think about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were not childbearing age. But yet God chose to give them a child. Listen, when the angel showed up and said, all right, you're going to have a child, Zechariah, guess what God could have done when Zechariah said, now wait a minute, how do I got to know this is going to happen? He could have said, okay, you're right, that's not going to happen. I'll, do, I'll do, use someone else. Easily he could have done that. But he was patient, he was gracious, and he showed mercy to Zechariah. He, even when Zechariah doubted the angel, God still chose to bless him with a child. 
What are the chances, think about this, what are the chances that a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go into the inner sanctuary out of 18,000 people that you would encounter an angel at age 99 and the angel would say, guess what, you're going to have a boy. I mean, the odds are completely against you. But it happened. Because the least likely in the economy of God is the most likely. Look at Mary, a teenager, a commoner from nowhere. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Isn't that what John chapter 1 says at the end of John chapter 1? Can anything good come out of there? And yet Jesus did, the Savior of the world. So no matter what you may think of yourself, God thinks that you're pretty darn special. God thinks that you're a masterpiece in Ephesians 2, chapter chapter 2, verse 10. God loves you exactly the way that you are, but Max Lucado says that he just refuses to leave you that way. That his desire is that you would be just like Jesus. And so, however how least likely you think you are, God thinks you're the most likely. Because he says that the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. That's the grace of God. Number two, the grace of God makes the uncertain certain. Zechariah asked the question, how will I know? I mean, you have to believe Zechariah struggled mightily all through his life with the fact that he didn't have a boy. For years they had conversations about having a child. Even Elizabeth referred to her situation as a disgrace. But you know, God's in the business of taking disgraces and making them into something miraculous. So Zechariah really wanted to know, is this true? How is this possible? The uncertainty of life, right? Well, I'm reminded of Ezekiel 37 where Ezekiel's having a conversation with the Lord. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord God, only you know. I don't know what situation that you're in. I don't know what you're facing at Christmas. It may be a a very uh, difficult time for you. You may have family members that you don't like. uh, But God in spite of who you are and in spite of what you've done, still showed grace and mercy in our uncertain circumstances and he sent his son, Jesus. And so only God knows the outcome of your scenario. Don't give up on God. He has not given up on you. He makes the uncertain certain. That's where he works. Because lastly, the grace of God makes the impossible possible. Zechariah You know what it means in Hebrew, in Greek? It means Yahweh has remembered. God's remembered. 99 years, no child. 400 years, no word from God. But yet his name was Yahweh has remembered. It was a reference to their future son. And his son, John, the future son, guess what that means? It means Yahweh has shown favor. So let's back up a little bit. This is going to blow your mind. Zechariah, Old Testament, last, uh, next to last book of the Old Testament, a prophet 400 years before Zechariah the priest, so it's not the same one. He's prophesying 
And this is what he says in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And he said, what are you doing? And he said to me, to measure the, or where are you going? And he said, I'm going to measure Jerusalem to see what its width and its length is. And behold, the angel who talked uh, with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet me. So Zechariah, listen to me, this is amazing. Zechariah in the Old Testament had an encounter with an angel. Then zip, silence, 400 years. The very next encounter God has with humanity is an angel with a man named Zechariah. And Zechariah means Yahweh has remembered. God had not forgotten us. In the midst of the silence, God had an amazing plan. The last person that he spoke through an angel was Zechariah. God has remembered. In the New Testament, he speaks again to who? The very first time. Zechariah, God has remembered. God has not forgotten. So you go to the last chapter, if you're not convinced yet, the last book of the Old Testament, which was Malachi, who was around at the same time as uh, Zechariah. And this is what he writes in chapter 3, verse 1. He prophesied, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Okay? 400 years earlier, I'm going to send somebody that's going to prepare the way before me. And then in uh, chapter 4, verse 5, he says, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So the prophecy before the silence of God was, I'm going to send a messenger before me. And he will come in the power of Elijah. So we go back to Luke chapter 1, and what do we read? We read in chapter 1 when the angel uh, announced that John was coming. He says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them, prophecy, in the spirit and power of Elijah. How amazing is that? That God prophesied 400 years before to a man that means I have not forgotten. I will remember. And 400 years later, he remembered. And he sent the messenger to proclaim that Jesus was on his way. You see, God doesn't forget. Because in Luke one thirty-seven, the angel told Mary, for nothing will be impossible for God. Nothing. You see, God is a promise keeper. And he starts what he finishes. So this is what I want to encourage you to do this Christmas season. I want you to allow the wonder of an amazing God that has offered you unmerited favor, unearned favor, cause you to ponder in amazement what he has done. Something you and I were incapable of doing ourselves, Jesus did. Something you and I don't deserve, Jesus gives. And so as we celebrate the birthday of the risen living Savior, Jesus Christ, I want you to sit in amazement and say, how in the world can this be? And then what our response ought to be is, I'm your servant. Whatever you say, Lord, I will do. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, thank you for the fact that in spite of who we are, God, you still love us. God, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. And so, Lord, here we stand on December the 20th, 2015, 2,000 years later. And we say, God, do you remember? 
God, do you remember the promise that you'll never leave us nor forsake us? God, do you remember the promise that come to me all who are heavy laden and you'll give rest? God, do you still give rest? God, do you still not forsake? God, your word, it says, no, I, I have not forsaken you. It says, yes, I will, I will give you rest. And so, Lord, maybe there's someone here this morning that just needs to come and rest. Rest in the amazing wonder of a man named Jesus. One who has like no other. One who has the power to calm the seas. One who has the ability to change circumstances with a simple thought. When he thought about creation, he spoke and there it was. God, you can do anything. For with God, nothing is impossible. And so, Lord, do what only you can do for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.